0: listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Amen. Thank you, Hillary. Good morning, church. You can go ahead and have a seat. I'd love to go ahead in your Bibles, find Romans chapter 12. And, uh, man, I do want to say, man, I'm so excited to have the Monzons officially a part of this church's members. And don't forget those mission trips that are coming up. Uh, go online, check those out. And like I said last week, you're even, I'll even say 5% interested. Go ahead, put your name down. You can fill out the form. That'll get you in a communication avenue of getting some more information about the trips. Uh, but I would love to have you come along with me to the one in uh, Seattle. Uh, So Romans chapter 12 is what we're picking up today, and it is the last, the third section of Romans. We've gone through all of chapters 1 through 11. Clint last week opened up with first two verses of chapter 12, the practical application of the greatest book ever written, the letter ever written about the Christian life, and we saw... God's desire is for our whole lives to be His, to be, remember, take the sheet of paper, you sign the bottom, the blank sheet, and God fills in the blanks that our lives are given over to Him for His purposes uh, that He has set for each and every one of us. But I want to ask the question this way. If you believe you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then does that relationship truly impact everything about you? So last week, we could understand that we know God wants to have all of our lives set over, committed to Him. So then asking the question the other way is, does everything in your life, is it impacted by your relationship with God through Christ? Or let me flip it on its head. If you did not know Christ, would your life be much different? I mean, the way you respond and interact with your wife or your husband, the way you parent, the way you are with your friends, your job, finances, those that live around you, would that be really any different if you didn't know Christ? Cuz I think the problem can be this way, is that we often we want or we think about we have a relationship with the idea of Jesus, but not really with him personally. I mean, we might I don't know, feel close to God. We want to have good thoughts about Him. Uh, We want to be nice to other people. We might seek God for comfort. But does it truly impact every area of our lives? And I think generally we would say we want it to, but then life just happens. Well, if that's you today, I'm glad you're here because that's what Paul is going to help us with. And so today we're going to look at five verses, picking up in verse 3. So let me read that for us this morning and then... I'm going to pray, beginning in verse 3 of Romans 12. It says, For the by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function." So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let me pray. Father, this morning I do come before you, and each and every week it is always good to be in your house with your people. I am thankful that I am a part of a church that I look forward gathering with, that I'm anticipating Sunday mornings coming and gathering together in life groups, that I'm thankful that I have a place that I'm a part of, that I enjoy. And this morning, Lord, I pray that for more. I pray as we look through your scriptures this morning, that the truth that I've seen this week, that it is in line with who you are and what you have done and what you are calling us to. I pray you would use your word as you've promised, that it will accomplish a purpose in us, that it is living and is active and sharper than a two-edged sword, and that you would use your word in our lives this morning. Help us to honestly consider where we are and what you are calling us to. And so, Lord, I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your Spirit, amen. So I did some research this week on this country we live in and we love living in the U.S. And the U.S. is a leader in so many avenues or even at the top of the list at least. So the United States is leader or sits at the top of the list in countries that are not around the world in a lot of things. Here are a few. One is military. It says in our military power, the United States stands at the top. We spend more money, all that sort of thing. Economical influence, that we have the ability as a country, we influence economics around the world. It is the number one place to live if you are a true entrepreneurial. If you're an entrepreneurial spirit, the United States, it says, it is the place for you to come and live because it sits atop of the world of people that are innovative, uh, think outside the box, and people that are kind of making it on their own according to their own ideas. Technology, space exploration, medical research is one that the United States leads in. If you want to be a movie star, the United States is a place you should live because it leads the world and those sort of things. But there is something that the United States is by far, not even close, by far the leading country in. In fact, every place I looked, everyone agreed the U.S. sits at the top of the list by far about this one thing. In fact, we value this idea more than any other country, any other group in the world, and I would say of all times, we pride ourselves on this. In fact, we think this idea is really how we become who we're meant to be, and we all do it. It's an idea that we build so much of our lives around, we pride ourselves on, we live in a country that has this value more than any other country in the world, but the sad thing is, it is the one thing that is detrimental to the church. And if we pursue this idea that we're going to talk about, we will never become who God has for us to be. And this idea, this philosophy, this ideology is the idea of individualism. In fact, we live in a country, the U.S., that prides itself that it's more individualistic than any other... I really practiced that word, too. Individualistic than any other country in the world. It's this idea that promotes the exercise of one's goals, values independence, self-reliance. In fact, individualism makes the individual... It's focused. And I saw it front and center this week in Academy. Walk in, Marcus is needing some cleats, and I can hear this sound that was just, it was horrible. It's like fingernails on the chalkboard sound. It was a little girl standing in a buggy, yelling, screaming at the top of her lungs, I want to go home. And that parent is trying the best she can, bless her heart, to ignore it acting like she doesn't even hear it. And I mean, she cringes every time it happens, you can tell. She knows everybody's looking at her, wanting her to do something. Because at that point, the only thing that matters is that girl's individualism. She doesn't want to be there. And nothing else matters. But you think about it. I mean, we pride ourselves in making our own path in the world. We strive to work hard on ourselves to be the best we can be. We want our lives of our own making. In fact, some of us might be thinking, well, what's really wrong with all that? That's what's made this country great. Well, let me show you, beginning in verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with a sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, That God has assigned. And so let me show you four things. One, notice Paul's audience, because this is important. Paul says to everyone, he's not talking to just the leaders, he's not talking to just the elders and deacons, not just the men, he's not talking to just mature people. He is addressing every single believer from the youngest to the oldest. To the guest, to the faithful servants, Jews and Gentiles, men, women, teenagers, children. He says, everyone, no one is excluded from what I'm about to talk about. And do you see the problem? Lack of humility. He's writing to everyone. No one gets excluded so that they will not think more highly than they ought to. Because here's what we have to understand. A lack of humility, it will destroy any relationship any organization, and any church. If there is a lack of humility, it will destroy anything in its path. But then he gives an alternative to that. He says, the problem is, we are thinking more highly of themselves, but they ought to think with a sober judgment. Meaning that everyone needs an accurate kind of view of who they are In and of themselves. Everyone needs a view of themselves that's actually in touch with reality. And I know you already have somebody in your mind that needs to hear this. Somebody that has this elevated view of themselves that's thinking more highly than they ought to. They're out of touch with reality. They need some self-perspective. You all know them. And if you don't, just know you're probably the one somebody else is thinking of. But we all need this. He says, everyone... Lacks humility, we need to think with sober judgment. And it wasn't too long ago that I got knocked down, not just a few pegs, but a bunch. Oh, man. Um, I was going, working on my doctorate through Southern. I just turned in uh, my first draft of my first chapter of my dissertation. And I'll admit, I was getting a little too big for my britches, as my mama would say. 'Cause in my mind, nobody else knew these thoughts, at least until today. I began thinking, man, I can't believe I'm the only one on staff that's working on a doctorate. I mean, look at me. I mean, I made it into one of the most prestigious seminaries uh, you know, in the United States. It's now the biggest seminary next to Liberty. Uh, that don't really count by the way. But anyway, you're the second biggest. Um, I'm going into a staff meeting, and I remember telling them, guys, uh, my professor is going to be calling. There's an important meeting. I'm going to have to step out. I took some pride in that. Y'all just y'all you know, keep doing what you're doing, but you know, hey, this is a little bit more important. And so I remember uh, Dr. Danny Bowen uh, called me, and we were FaceTime. So excuse me, guys. I've got to do something. This is important. I I'll be back. You know, if, if I get time and I'm still available, I'll I'll grace you with my presence. And so, Dr. Danny, I didn't say it that way, but Dr. In my mind, I'm thinking Dr. Danny Bowen's on the other end, and. He says, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And I thought, okay, well, how bad could it be? Okay, give me the good news. And he says, well, you turned it in on time. And I remember thinking, oh, this is not going to be good. He said, well, you turned it in on time. You actually turned it in early. I thought, okay. Then he says this. He says, I need you to know I can make a good writer great, but I can't make a bad writer good. And you're in the second category. And he was dead honest, and he said, this is the thing you'll need to know about me. I'm brutally honest. And I remember thinking, "Uh, do I quit now? What do I do with this? And I realized I needed to be knocked down a few pegs. I had a lack of humility. I wasn't seeing myself rightly with a sober judgment. So Paul is writing to everyone. Nobody gets to exclude themselves from what he's about to say because everyone needs to hear this. We do not need to think more highly than we ought to. Think with sober judgment about yourself. Have an accurate view in touch with reality and look at what the measure is. Accordance or according to the measure of faith. Now, there's two ways you can take this. One is the view looks at this that God assigns different levels of faith to different people. So somebody over here is going to get a bucket, somebody over here is going to get a quart, and somebody over here is going to get a cup. And, you know, it doesn't matter that everybody has faith and you have all the faith that you need, but God kind of gives it out in different degrees and it's all that you need, you live in that, it's all a gift, you don't earn it, and you, you go on and you do your life from there and it's all that you need. Whatever you've given, be a good steward of. But there's another view that says that they read this, it says, according to the measure of faith. That there is this measure, and we don't really know what it is, a measure of faith that someone needs to trust in Christ. And God gives that to those that will believe there's this measure of faith, and it's the same for all believers. Well, I take the second point, the, the way of viewing this. I could be wrong, but that's how I see it. But here's what... The most important thing about this I want us to see is what Paul is saying is that the only way to see yourself rightly, the only way to have sober judgment about yourself is through Christ-tinted glasses. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, that the only way to see yourself rightly, the solution is the gospel. The only way, the solution to combat humility and to have the right view of yourself is the gospel, and we'll talk about it at the end. Look at verse 4 going to give an illustration about it. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So one body, many members, the members are different according to their function. That seems pretty straightforward. We can kind of begin to wrap our, ma- our minds around that. We're individuals, but we make up members of one body, and these members have a different function. So you take a body, if a body has all feet and legs, they're going to get everywhere they want to go really quick, but they're going to have a really hard time picking something up. You know, if a body's all ears, they're going to be able to hear everything, but they can't see anything. You know, if they're all mouths, I know you know some people like that, um, but, you know, they do not have ears, then they're going to be heard everywhere, but they're never going to hear a thing. But generally, here's what happens. We like the idea of unity. We like that idea. Unity, we'd say, is important. It's something good. But we have to understand unity does not mean the same. And that's where it gets really hard. And that's where it gets really complicated. Is that unity, when it is not the same, it's important. It's something we should work for. But that's what makes unity really hard is the difference in the unity. You know when I get most frustrated with Marla, my wife? It's when she doesn't see things the way I see them. You know, I know she, I know you're thinking she should, but when she doesn't see the things I do, I get easily frustrated because unity is this thing we all want, it's important, but it's hard because we're not all the same. But then Paul says something very profound in verse five. So it gives this illustration of the body, of many members, they have different functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually members one of another. So we're individuals of one body. And notice what he says, in Christ. I haven't seen this till this week, that believers are connected, united with Christ. You belong to Him, and you are in Him. But the first thing is that phrase, in Christ. And it should mean so much more than it does for us. Because if you take that out... It loses all meaning and all power and all significance. If all it says, you are one body, it loses everything. When you think about what all it means to be in Christ. That's why I asked, what would your life be like if you didn't know Christ? Would it be any different? Because think about all that we have in Christ. I looked these up this week and I know I didn't get them all. One. You've received grace in Christ. A redemption is in Christ. We're justified in Christ. We have forgiveness of sins in Christ. There is con- no condemnation in Christ. We're new creations in Christ. We have eternal life, the so scripture says, in Christ. God supplies all of our needs and it says in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in heaven in Christ. We cannot be separated or we're perfected to God in Christ, and we cannot be separated by the love of God in Christ. And I know I didn't get them all. In fact, if you take that prepositional phrase out, all of this has absolutely no meaning and no power. There is no grace. There's no redemption. There's no justification, forgiveness, new creation, no condemnation, spiritual blessing. It could not happen if it isn't in Christ. So here's the point. There is a union by faith in Christ that happens that all that He is is for you. But that's not all. Notice how it ends. So not only are you a part of the body in Christ, you are individually members one of another. Meaning, our lives are to be connected and intertwined in a way that far surpasses what we naturally think about. In fact, each week the pastors get together and we work through, those are going to be teaching each week, we work through these passages. And usually on Sunday morning, if they drop a draft, I like to pull theirs up and to read it. Um, After I've kind of got mine in place, see if they've said anything. And then Eric Barton said something this morning, and I thought, you stinker. It's like, you write? did you put my name out beside that? Because he wrote it this way. Thinking of people, the relationships that we have in the church, he says, people are not in the way, they are the way. And I thought, oh, Eric Barton, I'm going to have to have words with you later. But that's, I think, how we typically view the church. Oh, I'd say, how do we typically view it? We might come to worship, and you've done that. You're here today. I'm glad. It's hard preaching to myself. You maybe tonight, or you're involved this week in a Bible study? we got men on Tuesday morning, women Wednesday night, Thursday morning, life group, a lot of our life groups meet tonight. Hopefully you're serving. But if we are really honest, you know what we really want? We kind of want all those things, but we want it to be convenient. We want it to be easy. And I'm for it as long as it doesn't require too much. I need to be able to do all the things I want to do and the way I want to do it I just don't need it to be too inconvenient. I, as long as it's not too hard, then yeah, I'm, I'm your man. I mean, as long as it doesn't require too much, then, then I'm really all for it. But Let me read verse 5 again. So we, though we're many, are one body in Christ, and individually you are members one of another. Paul is saying that our lives as the church are connected in such a way that our lives are connected and intertwined that you cannot survive without the church. Allow that to sink in. You as a believer cannot survive apart from the people around you. An individual member of the body, go home and try cutting off your arm. It won't survive. You can't do it. It's so easy, though, to get into this cycle where we begin thinking about church differently. Man, life connected to people, I want you to know up front, it is hard and it is messy. And it's going to be times you don't like it and you wish you hadn't signed up for it. Go ask anybody serving or leading out in a ministry as deacons, elders, teachers all over the place. Go ask them, is it always easy? Is it always kind of neat and tidy? They'll say, absolutely not. There are days that I don't want to be here either. But we should never trivialize or take the church lightly. When you think about what it costs God to create the church, it took the life of his very own son. Then listen to this. What you are with the people sitting in front and behind and to the side of you in Christ is a life and an inheritance, and a union so great and so profound that it surpasses the value of all other human relationships and will never end. So I need you to know, as much as I love my wife, Scripture tells me that this relationship of the church even surpasses that. Because one day when death comes for one of us, hopefully at the same time, that union is over. But the union her and I have as brothers and sisters in Christ, that will never end. So what you are with the people sitting in front, behind, and beside you in Christ is a life and inheritance and a union so great and so profound that it surpasses the value of all other human relationships, and it will never end. And when we begin viewing the church that way, we will understand that the members are here to serve the body. The body's not here to serve me. And that's when things begin changing. So Paul explains this in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So God has given to each and every believer gifts and he's going to name seven. It's not a complete list. You can look at several other places where he has more. This is only seven. The first one he says in prophecy. Now this can mean several things. One... It's where someone is proclaiming a revelation from God that no one else knows, and they're making it known. And you see it in the Old Testament with the prophets. You see it in the New Testament with Paul. Or it can mean somebody that's going to foretell something that's going to happen in the future. You see it in the Old Testament. The prophets will talk about judgments coming. You see it with Jesus foretelling His death. Or it could be someone simply proclaiming God's truth that he's revealed in his word to other people, kind of like what I'm doing today, or at least attempting to try. Now, I don't have time to work through all those uh, possibilities, but if you're really concerned about it, you can make a reservation at Dakota's, and I'll go to lunch, and we'll work through that. Uh, But I can eat a lot, just so you know. But here is what Paul is saying. No matter what it might mean, he says, if you prophesy in proportion to your faith. What he's saying, if you have the gift of prophecy, then it needs to be done from someone that believes what they're saying. It needs to come from a genuine and an authentic faith that you believe what you're saying. Because you know people that might try to sell you something, you know they don't believe it themselves. But it's somebody that is prophesying with the proportion to their faith that they believe it, it's genuine, and it's authentic. And then he says in verse 7, If service in our serving. If one teaches in his teaching, if one exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, if one who leads with zeal, the one who acts of mercy with cheerfulness. But the problem is, I think when we think about spiritual gifts, we don't either know how we're gifted or we don't think we're gifted. Just know you're calling God a liar. Okay, you can deal with that. Or... We just know what we're not gifted in or what I don't want to be gifted in. And that's usually where it lands. I don't know. Or it's, you know, I don't, I'm just not gifted at anything. Or I just know what I'm not gifted in. Well, here's what I want us to look at these gifts. We don't, you know, yeah, you can go take online tests, you can do all kinds of things like that. But here's what I want you to see about these gifts. These gifts are spiritual gifts given to believers. We believe every believer is indwelled by the Spirit, and part of that is a giftingness from the Spirit. Other than prophecy, those next six, did you know these are things that every believer is actually called to? Every believer is called to serve, Galatians 5, 1 Peter 10. Every believer is called to encourage, Uh, Hebrews 3, 1 Thessalonians 4. Every believer is called to be generous. Every believer is called to lead other people. Every believer is called to show mercy. So here's what I think the point is. The point about these gifts is to notice where they come from. In verse 6, Having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. He says, Even... The gifts that you are given, you don't deserve. The gifts I have, I don't deserve. And you cannot go and earn them. They're only by grace. And they're meant for other people. So grace is where the power to actually do these gifts comes from. Grace is not just giving us permission. It's not even just a calling. Grace brings the power to do what God has designed the gifts to accomplish. And so here's what I want to wrap this up with. I want to walk through three main points from each section of this passage. And we've hit on them all. Here's the first one. The gospel is the only solution. It's what helps us see ourselves rightly. We all need more humility. I'm probably at the top of the list after sharing what I did. But the gospel is the only solution. It's the only thing that can help you from thinking too highly of yourself. Because when we see ourselves in light of the gospel, we know we are sinners. And no effort, even my best efforts on my best day are only bringing judgment. Then I'm entirely saved by another one's kindness. And that's Jesus Christ. But the gospel, it always helps us, also helps us from thinking too low of ourselves. Because you know what? I'm a saved sinner. And I am loved and valued by the only ones whose opinion truly matters. And listen, I get tired every week fighting that battle in my mind. I can get a thousand compliments and one person have one thing even slightly negative. And all of a sudden, I find myself in a dark hole, wondering about it. I fight those things too, but to remind ourselves with the truth, listen, the only opinion about you that matters is what Christ thinks about you. No other opinion matters. So the only way to see ourselves rightly is through christ colored glasses that the gospel is the only solution. The second point is this, is that we, you, me, we cannot survive without the church. That we are connected to the body of Christ, in Christ, and we're connected to each other in the most powerful and significant way. No one can become who God has designed them to be apart from the body. You cannot do it. You know, there's only two things, or maybe not only two. I know there are two things you can't do by yourself. You can't be married. And you can't be a Christian according to God's word. In fact, John of the cross says it this way. The virtuous soul that is alone is like a burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than hotter. In fact, we cannot survive without the church. You cannot know or be who you were created to be apart from the body. You can't do it. The third thing is this, the last one is the church draws out God's gifts of grace. Every believer is given gifts to be used. So think of it this way. It's like we're a bunch of magnets. Different shapes, different sizes, different talents, different gifts. But you begin putting these magnets all together. And each magnet that gets added makes that magnet now bigger and more powerful. Everything is now connected. The magnetization grows stronger and stronger when more people are attaching themselves and interconnecting with that body of magnets. Well, then you take that magnet and there's this sea of sand. And you move it out over that sea of sand and hidden down in that sand are all these little bits of metal. When that metal, that that a uh, mass of, of magnets passes over. It pulls out all the little metal from the sand and it attaches itself. And what happens to those little pieces of metal? They become magnetized. They get drawn out of the sand and all of a sudden now it's more powerful than it even was before. So I think it can work like that and we have gifts in the body of Christ's church that we are meant to connect to. And what it does, it draws us out. It draws these gifts that God has given us to where all of a sudden they're being used in the most powerful way. But just know the more isolated and insulated we become from each other, those gifts just lie dormant. In fact, part of the body, apart from that, spiritual gifts are absolutely meaningless and they lie there useless. If we really, I think we're to be honest about how we view the church, for most of us, and I'm with you. We want it convenient. You know, I don't need the sermon more than 40, 45 minutes. Singing can be about 25 to 30 minutes. Life, groups can go a little longer. That's a little more fun. Uh, but, you know, I I, I just, I, it doesn't need to take up much time. I need to be quick. Convenient, yeah, I do. I, you know, I want to be able to get in. What I need to do, get out. Don't need much inconvenience during the week. And, man, I sure need it to be comfortable. You know, I need it to be a place that, that it kind of does things the way I like them, and I just need people not to make me too uncomfortable. We want to be surrounded by people that are just like us. We want people that share the same interest. I want people that think like me, see the world like me, vote like me. I don't want people to be too messy. I don't need people to be too hard to love. And I really don't need them to require much of me. And if we were really honest, that's really how we want the church to be. In fact, I think if we were really honest, we'd want problems to be easily solved with a quick, well, I'll pray for you. But that's not how life is. And it's not how the church is. I need you to know it's messy. Miscommunication happens. Feelings get hurt. People get left out. Problems are not easy to fix at times. It's messy. But here's the great news. When you and I truly connect our lives together, our lives become intertwined. All of a sudden, you're being a part of the body of Christ and you're being individual members, one to another. And it draws out of things from us that we never knew were possible. I mean, just take those gifts. We're going to start serving. I don't know, nursery, preschool, connections, youth, life groups. Hey, I'm going to go to life group. And instead of thinking about what is this group going to do for me, I'm going to go, okay, God, here I am. Use me. What what couple, what somebody do I need to invite into my home? Think about if we did this, that we looked around and thought, who in here, yeah, I go to life group with this person, I serve with this people, our kids are friends over here. Who do I, who's never been in my home? And this next week, next two weeks, I'm going to call them and I'm going to set up time just to have them in, just to get to know people. I'm going to serve people that way. Then I'm going to show up on Sunday mornings thinking, man, not what I'm going to get out of this, but man, how might I be a part of what's going on? Men's is a problem? I want to be a part of the solution. You get involved in people's lives like that, you know what you'll find? You'll find opportunities where you're going to say something that's going to stick with them. The Bible calls that teaching. Man, you're going to send a card, you're going to send an email, you're going to say some word, and all of a sudden it's going to impact somebody and it's going to encourage them. This morning was hard for my family. To watch Calvin Cain come down and wrap his arms around my daughter, that's encouraging. And then when you begin doing that, you're going to notice you're going to give in ways that you never thought you could give. You're going to start leading, leading ways that you never could have imagined. There's going to be acts of mercy that will totally surprise you. You know, things that don't come natural, all of a sudden you're going to find great joy in that. Things that terrify you and you think that you couldn't do, you're going to end up doing and making a difference that people are going to be talking about you for generations. Things that are difficult and hard, you're going to end up finding them rewarding. But this only happens when you're connected to the body when you're connected to the church and allowing yourself to be connected and intertwined with other people. And I want you to know up front, it is going to be difficult. It's going to be scary. It's going to get inconvenient and it's going to get messy, but it will always be worth it. But you have to put yourself out there. And once I believe we have this vision of the church as members intertwined for one another, when we have that vision of the church, I believe all of a sudden we see that that's the church that God intends for the world to see. So, if you want to see yourself rightly, if you truly want to be who God has created you to be, if you want Christ to mean more to you, if you want Him to impact every area of your life, it cannot happen apart from the church. It can only happen when your life is intertwined and connected to Christ and to those around you. So, here's my ask this morning Will you help this church be the place? God intends it to be. And so this morning, I want to invite one of our elders who is doing this exact thing, helping us become the church God intends it to be. Because he would tell you as an elder, it isn't always easy, it isn't always convenient, and lives are messy. So I want to invite Mike Koslo to come and lead us in communion. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.